the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is his ass. Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I know you. I know you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 70 of Next Best Picture Podcast. This is our holiday episode, everybody. And the evidence for that is, well, I'm not exactly by myself, no. Uh, and while everybody's traveling and spending time with their family right now, the other person who is joining me for this episode is the lovely Miss Deanne Kiazeze. Hello, happy holidays. Yes, Deanne, thank you so much for being here and not ha- allowing me to <laughs> run my own episode by myself again. We can't do that, not at the holiday season. <laughs> oh, well, that's very sweet of you, and I really appreciate it. So here we are. Uh, we... You know, want to keep this short. We understand that everybody has a lot to get to. Um, we want to make this uh, something that somebody can hopefully listen to, maybe in the span of a car ride. You know, that would be nice, right? Yeah, to grandma's house. So it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, an hour and a half or, you know, anything like that. Um, I want to be very, very generous with everybody's time. So let's just uh, dive right into it over here. Let's get into what was going on this week and, you know, what happened in the world of Oscar. And I can tell you right now, probably the biggest thing of all, Lots of shortlists this week were announced. So the shortlist, basically, the Academy's got a couple of categories where they whittled down um, a lot, and I mean like hundreds of contenders, down to a very select few. And uh, those few will then uh, be the ones that will be considered for the Oscar in their respective uh, categories. So the first one that uh, we received was the visual effects shortlist, which Previously was uh, 20 films. Now it is down to 10. Uh, the 10 films now that are left that will be considered for the Oscar for Best Visual Effects are Alien Covenant, Blade Runner 2049, Dunkirk, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Kong Skull Island, Okja, The Shape of Water, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, and War for the Planet of the Apes. The films that were previously on the list and are no longer there are Beating the Beast, Ghost in the Shell, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Justice League, Life, Logan, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, and Wonder Woman. So, um, of these films here... Um, I don't know about you, Deanne, but for me, um, Beauty and the Beast, Logan, and Wonder Woman missing um, were pretty significant, I thought. Yeah, those would probably be the three surprises, I would say, as well. Um, I, I think my actual personal choices do fall in that other 10, but I, I could see a world where those three should have been in as well. Sure, absolutely. Um, which one in the 10 surprises you the most? Prop- well, I don't know. I haven't seen Valerian. I've heard it's amazing, so I can't speak to that. Uh, for me, it'd be Okja. Okja. Well, so I haven't seen Okja either. So, yeah, oh, but that. Oh, you got to watch it on Netflix. It's so good. I know, but here's the thing. I, I This is a little personal story for everyone in the podcast, but I lost my dog this year. And so, as oh. a result, I have been unable to watch any oh. movie that is animal related. No, this is meant to be a happy podcast. <laughs> I it's know, the holidays. But it is happy. It's okay. Oh. But, yeah, but I, I'll catch up with Okja soon. Okay. All right. Jesus. <laughs> well, the reason why I'm, I'm most surprised is because um, it's a Netflix film, you know? Yeah, so right. a- any uh, traction that Netflix is gaining right now in the Oscar race is uh, surprising, I guess you could say, especially with um, all the backlash that started early this year at Cannes. And- right. And that viewing experience at home just being so different, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dunkirk continues to surprise me. Oh, cool. um, I say this only because... Uh, it's like, what, 95% practical effects? But right. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm in the minority on that one, and I, and I recognize it. Uh, Kong Skull Island and Alien Covenant, I think, are the two... Oh, and Valerian, sorry. Uh, the three films that are probably the worst received of the group. Right. I could see a world where our five are 
Blade Runner 2049, Dunkirk, War for the Planet of the Apes, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and I want to save A Shape of Water, mm-hmm. but I can't help but feel like there'll be something else thrown in there, like, surprisingly. Maybe, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe. Yeah. You know, just because they de-aged uh, Kurt Russell and... You know, obviously that film is a spectacle of visual effects, you know, with all the creatures and, you know, right, and characters. Whole planet yep, the whole Kurt planet, Russell exactly. Is. Yeah. So, I don't know. To me, it, it seems like Blade Runner 2049 and War for the Planet of the Apes are probably the most safe, I would say, um, if any. Oh, and Star Wars, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. You know, anything else after that? Um, I I think Dunkirk Dunkirk's hardest thing was always going to be making this short list. And, and I think now getting nominated, I do think I'm starting to believe uh, Will, who has said before that if Dunkirk does get nominated, it will win. Because the best picture, a, fil- a film with a best picture nomination usually tends to win in this category. I think the film that broke that trend finally was Ex Machina. And that was mm-hmm. like the most bizarre, weirdest win. Yeah, just that one off. Uh, yeah. That was that was incredible that that film uh, beat out Mad Max, Star Wars, mm-hmm. The Revenant. I, I still to this day cannot believe that that happened, but it did. So I don't know. We'll we'll see how it uh, all boils down. But I'm um, I'm sad for Wonder Woman. I'm sad for Logan, uh, most especially, and surprised about Beauty and the Beast. If anything, yeah. Um, another list is the original song list, which we got. Now this has hundreds of uh songs on here i i I believe it's something it's a long list it's like 80 or something so i'm not gonna run through them all there uh suffice to say i think the one song that everybody kind of made a big um you know a big noise about uh being left off here was the one from a ghost story Mm, yeah uh and that's kind of like the only ones i heard otherwise all the expected uh you know nominees are all here you know greatest showman Mudbound, uh, Call Me By Your Name. Coco. Coco, yep. So Detroit, Marshall, uh, everything pretty much for the most part that we've been predicting is here. So this this didn't really uh, help us uh, to help narrow narrow it down. down. No, not at all. Not (laughs) at all. Um, I'm pretty sure I went back to my uh, choices afterwards and I just left them the same for my predictions, (laughs) you know, because it's like, oh, nothing got eliminated. And ditto the... Uh, score shortlist as well you know every year when it comes to uh best original score we usually see something that gets left off that you know enrages everybody you know last year it was a rival right and johan johansson's score for that um which was one of the most unique scores of the year right this year nothing was left off literally nothing you know johnny greenwood who by all accounts, if you ask most people, should have should have won an Oscar for There Will Be Blood. He got left off the shortlist back in 2008. In fact, he's never been nominated. Wow. So he's made the shortlist for Phantom Thread. Great. And, yeah. you know, I would say right now, best original score is between him and Alexandra Desplat for The Shape of Water. Well, it wasn't part of the problem with Arrival, too. It was, you know, you have Johan Johansson's score, but then the sort of pinnacle moment was actually that Mac, Max Richter song. That's so correct. So people were kind of maybe downplaying Johan Johansson's work because of kind of it being overshadowed by that ending scene. Yeah, there's a rule where you can't use pre-existing uh, music and incorporate it into the score and so on and so forth. That's why it's called original score. Right. So, you know, there's like a line that's blurred there, but it's very interesting though because like Hans Zimmer uh, did it with Dunkirk, um, you know, when the boats show up, uh, you know, to save everybody. You know, that's not music that was specifically written for the film. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but he made it here. Um so did also um, Blade Runner 2049 in general. You know, we could see Hans Zimmer as a double nominee potentially this year. Um, John Williams could be a double nominee this year. The Post and Star Wars both made it. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very, very interesting to see for sure. I'm sure there will be a favorite in this branch. Maybe like Thomas Newman for Victorian Abdul. There's always somebody that the branch like heavily likes that tends to get in for something that you know, we're maybe not predicting, but because that composer is, you know, somebody that they they like, uh, they just tend to get, like, a default nomination. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, just out of curiosity, Dan, do you have, like, any favorite film scores this year? Anything that you, like, added to your playlist or anything like that? Well, I listened to a sample of Phantom Thread. I thought it was awesome, but I haven't seen the movie yet. I can't wait for that. Um, 
I don't have any scores that I have added. I, d- I definitely have shared already. I love like the Patty Cakes music. I've been listening to that all oh, year. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, nothing from a score standpoint at this time. What about you? For me, like I I love King Arthur's score. Really? Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. I really hate the movie, but I love Daniel Pemberton's score for that. Um, Wonder Woman, I think, was like my favorite film score of the year. Oh, wow. Huh. Up until uh, Three Billboards. I, I love Carter Burwell's score on Three Billboards so much. Yeah. And now I'm really taken with uh, Shape of Water and Phantom Thread, which, by the way, I saw Phantom Thread this week. And? I, I, I think it's another masterpiece from him. Oh, that's awesome. I really do. Uh, you know, he has... He has such an ability. Um, I'll, I'll never forget when Ben Affleck won the Golden Globe for Best Director and he got up on the stage and he compared Paul Thomas Anderson to like Orson Welles. Mm. And what I'm finding about Paul is that he's not uh, – his style is not getting pigeonholed anywhere. This guy is like a student of cinema and all of his influences are coming into every single one of his films in a unique and different way. Where many people will say Boogie Nights and Magnolia, yeah, they do share some stylistic uh, similarities between each other. But since then, every single one of his films is so different than the last that, you know, one could say that he is like the next coming of uh, Stanley Kubrick, where the guy is just able to go in and out of different genres, pay homage to the past. And in this movie, especially Phantom Thread, uh, I got some very heavy uh, Barry Lyndon vibes uh, from watching it. That's not to say it's like epic in scope like Barry Lyndon is. Uh, totally different, uh, mind you. But just in the way of its pacing, its characters' interactions with one another, the quality of the writing, the way that it uh, is shot, um, the use of the music. It, to me, Phantom Thread, it feels like a classic while you're watching it. Um, and that kind of, to me, signifies that it probably is. Uh Daniel Day-Lewis is incredible, but Vicky Kreeps, who acts um, as a co-lead in the movie, she goes toe-to-toe with him, and she is amazing. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I love to hear, too, that there's a freshness to it as well. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's definitely twisted. It definitely gets a little odd you know as the film goes on but man oh man is it just ever fascinating i can't wait to rewatch it again because i'm sure that there are there's a lot of ambiguity in the performances and there's a lot of um and how you can read into them because there are many stretches where the cameras j- just focus in on the actors faces and they're just staring at each other and you don't know what's what they're thinking you know and then nothing's happening it's just like awkward silence but they're just staring at each other like sizing each other up and it makes you wonder, like, what what are they thinking, you know? So I can't mm-hmm. wait now that I've seen the film to, like, kind of go back, rewatch, and, like, rediscover that um, and try to read into those performances a little bit more because they are very, very complex. So, all right, enough about that. Uh, one more short list. We had uh, the final short list was for best makeup and hairstyling this week. Always a lovely category every year. The makeup branch continues to be the weirdest branch in the Academy. (laughs) And they have, for their short list, um, Netflix's uh, new masterpiece of cinema, Bright, uh, which is getting uh, pummeled right now by critics. Have you watched it yet? Oh, hell no. I don't think I'm going to. (laughs) I don't think I can. I don't know. Like, It's one thing to go to the theater and... Sub, you know, subject yourself to a movie that you know is going to be bad because at least in a the movie theater, it's like you can't run away. I mean, you, you can't turn it off. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at home, it's very easy for me to be like, I'm done with this, or just go on my phone, or you know, not right. give it my full attention. Yeah. Um. So, Bright Darkest Hour, uh, which is my predicted winner right now, mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, I Tanya, Victorian Abdul, and Wonder. So there will only be three nominees from this list uh, left off of here. Um, two two contenders that we were hoping would get here were Logan and The Shape of Water. Uh, both of those did not make the cut. So I, I, it, it feels uh, it's not, not a good week for Logan. Uh, it looks like Logan is heading uh, towards zero Oscar nominations now. I know. It would have been nice to just have one of those thrown in. <laughs> yeah. And Shape of Water uh, getting left off here. Uh, it now means that Shape of Water can no longer be the nomination leader 
uh, anymore. Uh, previous record for nominations what is 14. Uh, there were some people who thought that if Shape of Water got in everywhere it needed to, it could land 15 nominations. Now, hmm. by missing this shortlist, it's not possible. Okay. So, I um of these contenders here, I, I'm I'm currently what do I have? I have Darkest Hour. Uh, I have Darkest Hour, I Tanya, and Wonder as my three at the moment. Those are the same as me. Okay, very good. Um, I do see a world where Guardians of the Galaxy squeaks in there, though, once again. And I know I said that about visual effects before. Mind you, it's not because I'm, like, advocating, like, super hard for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I enjoyed the movie, but I I just have, like, this feeling that Marvel is going to show up somewhere. It's not going to be Goldblum from (laughs) Thor? No. The the red eyeliner? No? No. (laughs) (sighs) What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it could be one of. I, I think it's going to be those three probably, and I, I still think Darkest Hour is going to win in the end. I mean, have you seen Darkest Hour yet? I haven't seen Darkest Hour now. When you see it, you are going to be amazed by the close-ups that they do on this makeup and how good it looks. Oh, incredible! I can't wait. So I mean, but it's funny though because Wonder looks like it's heading for uh, two, possibly two nominations, uh, maybe in makeup and an adapted screenplay. Actually, yeah, you know, which is pretty amazing for this little tiny movie that, you know, virtually had no buzz, came out of nowhere, and became this big box office sensation. You know, the star power of Jacob Tremblay is not to be underestimated. That's right. Now that's my Christmas Eve um, planned movie watching experience is Wonder. So. Nice. <laughs> Speaking of Christmas, uh, let's go over to uh, some fan questions, actually. Uh, some of them are pertaining to the holidays. So we have FilmGuy619 here. Uh, he's asking us, which non-traditional Christmas film that is set on Christmas but doesn't have a story that necessarily revolves around the holiday is your favorite? Hmm. Oh, I have a few. Um, so a big one for me is Silver Linings Playbook. That's a little bit of the whole sort of, uh, it's like Halloween to Christmas, but then it has like the kind of culmination scene falls during the holidays. Yeah. Um, so I kind of consider that a holiday movie that I watch every year during the holidays. Um, I love it. I also, um, another one that I think sort of fits that bill is Just Friends, which takes place at Christmas time, but is really kind of a romantic comedy about getting out of the friend zone with Ryan Reynolds. And um, I watch it every year. Oh, wow. I love it. it it's um, Anna Ferris is in it, who I'm a big fan of. And she is like, I just love her. She's so over the top in this, but it makes me laugh. So I watch it every year. She's got a she's got a trailer. We're not we're not talking about it on the show this week, but she has for a overboard. Trailer. Oh, yeah. For that movie. And that does not look good. I know it doesn't. It's too bad because I, I really do like it. But if anyone, if you haven't seen Just Friends and you want a little holiday romantic comedy, it's really a good one. And then um, the other one I would say that's come out recently that I know I probably might receive um, some flack for, I really liked Why Him. And it might be because I'm a James Franco enthusiast, but I I got such a kick out of that movie and how he pulled off being such a crazy asshole, but also being charming and endearing at the same time. Oh my God. I have the exact opposite reaction to that movie. You hate it. You hate, I know I a lot of people did. James Franco's performance in that movie so much. I know. Oh, that's too <laughs> I, I've heard that. I think I'm in the minority. Yeah, it's totally fine. Uh, <laughs> for me, for me, the answer is very easy. It's Die Hard. Ah, okay. There's yeah, there's good. no other answer as far as I'm concerned. That's a good one. So got it. Got to go with Die Hard always. Uh, what else do we have here? We also have uh, this is this is kind of an end of year question in a way. Uh, but this one's from Scott Pyle, IUS, no, IU Survivor. What are your top three movies of 2017 that aren't really in this year's Oscar race? He says his three are Mother, Detroit, and Run- and Wonderstruck. Okay. Give me one second. This is a really good question, actually. I, and I really like this, too, because I feel like when we get to MVP Film Awards, we're going to probably be um, hopefully uh, focusing on films that are not in the Oscar race and are really films that we just happen to really enjoy and like and, you know, are not so much in the conversation anymore for awards, but is something that, you know, resonated with us. So, like, for me, um, I would say it's funny because actually now I can say this. Uh, Logan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can actually say Logan. Um, it Comes at Night is a film that still haunts me uh, since I saw it earlier this year. 
And yeah, I'll, I'll also say Mother. Um, you know, those three films are all in my top 10 and do not have any Oscar consideration. A film just outside of my top 10, though, uh, that is not getting Oscar consideration also. And Deanne, you and I have talked about this extensively. Brigsby Bear. Brigsby Bear. Yep. <laughs> That's on my list. I've got um, Meyerowitz Stories is another one for me. Um, and I also am still a huge fan of it. It remains in my top 10. Wow. Mother is just out, outside of the money for me. Um, and I actually, and then I've talked about it at length. Patty Cakes is not far away either. Yeah. Patty Cakes, uh, I really, I, I was very, very uh, taken in by the charm of Patty Cakes a lot. Mm-hmm. That music is so great. Really, really excellent stuff. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not ki- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That's just how it works. <laughs> and then just another end of year question here uh, from Roger Fritz. Uh, he's asking us, which 2018 movies are you looking forward to the most? And what is your best picture frontrunner as of today? So 2018, Deanne. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm obviously looking forward to Sundance. There's some directorial debuts happening there. Uh, Idris Elba has a movie coming called Yardy that I'm excited to see. Um, And Paul Dano directed. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I'm blanking on it. I apologize. Wild Wildlife. The the one with Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I'm also very excited about the uh, Gloria Steinem um, biopic with Julianne Moore that I think is docked to come out next year. And there, last I checked, is an unannounced or untitled Leica project. I love Leica Studios, so I'm always excited for anything they're going to do. Cool. Um, obviously, Avengers, Infinity War for myself, uh, uh, Black yes. Panther, like the, the, the cast in those two movies is just incredible. Ironically enough, um, trailers that we're going to be discussing momentarily... <laughs> Uh, for Oceans 8 and Sicario 2. Uh, I'm looking forward to those. Me too. (laughs) Uh, Deadpool 2, looking forward to that, Um, especially because I want to know if they take T.J. Miller out of the movie and replace him with Christopher Plummer. (laughs) Right. That would be um, incredible. (laughs) And something very much that Deadpool would do. (laughs) Um, But with that said, though, let's segue into um, our next uh, topic here and that is going to be for uh, a trailer that you know debuted uh, this week this is from director Gary Ross and it is starring an awesome all-female cast of Sandra Bullock Kate Blanchett Anne Hathaway Mandy Kalig Sarah Paulson Aquafina am I saying that right I don't yes, know I think so Aquafina yes. Rihanna and Helena Bottom Carter this is Oceans 8 good afternoon Miss Ocean as you know, parole is a privilege. It's a mistake, uh, but it, it happened. And um, if I were to be released, I would, um, <clears throat> I would just want the simple life. I just want to hold down a job, make some friends, you know, pay my bills. Even if this was possible, you'd need 20 people. Seven people. Why do you need to do this? Because it's what I'm good at. How long would it take you to make seven pieces of jewelry? Five or six hours. How long if I told you you didn't have to live with your mother anymore? Less. You keep playing where you shouldn't be playing. What's your name? Name Ball. What's your real name? Eight Ball. You keep thinking that I'm gonna be really poor. What if we could make all this go away? 
my watch back, please? And hers as well? Sorry. It's okay. What he knows, you ain't had time to learn. I am with my family. I told you not. I'm in your garage. Do you want me to tell you how big a job No, is? I'm out. I'm going to tell you how big the job is. I'll be back before you know. Can I come with you? This is Mommy's very special work trip. In three and a half weeks, the Met will be hosting its annual ball. And we are going to rob it. Not the ball itself. Oh. On the neck of Daphne Kluger. Valued at over a hundred million dollars. The 150 million, actually. <laughs> Revenge. It's a twofer. Do not run a job in a job. Taylor Swift? Can't we just go to this? Do we have to steal stuff? Yes. Is it genetic? Are the whole family like this? Literally. Okay, so they're taking the Ocean's Eleven uh, premise and they're giving it an all-female cast, and I can already say confidently that this looks better than the all-female Ghost, Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> I think so, too. I, I actually didn't mind that, but I, I agree. I think this looks like a step up from that. This is a really fun cast, for sure. I can't wait to see them play off each other. I thought Ghostbusters was silly, you know? Yeah. I, I think this looks like it could just be more fun, less silly. Yeah. And, and I think there is a difference between the two, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And then who doesn't like a good heist movie? Especially if they pull it off right. So much fun. Mm -hmm. Anytime when there's a con, there's a big twist at the end, and it's like, oh, how did they pull this off? You know? Right. Like, that's great. Uh, who, and you know what? I'd be really curious about this, too. Uh, Kate Blanchett signed on to this, and she doesn't just sign on to anything. Right. She kind of adds some gravitas to it, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think Sandra Bullock is perfect uh, for mm -hmm. the lead in this. Um, not to mention, too, it's really, it, it is kind of funny how... Um, you know, she started with George Clooney and Gravity, and, you know, George was the lead in Ocean's Eleven, and, you know. Right. You know, I, but the, the thing I'm trying to figure out is if there is any uh, relationship between the uh, the two characters at all. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, hard to tell. Yeah. Like, are they siblings? Are they, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be some Easter eggs in there. Yeah, maybe, there's, maybe it's completely independent uh, of mm -hmm. those films, and they're not in the same canon. Yeah, I, I think this looks like a great, great, great deal of fun. And I'm really, really excited uh, to see um, all of these women, you know, just really take control of this film and, you know, hopefully give us something that's going to be, uh, you know, an entertaining popcorn flick in the end, you know? Absolutely. I'm totally in. Yeah. So that, that looks like it'll be a great deal of fun. Uh, very cool. So the next thing um, we're going to move on to now, we're just, we're just moving along here. Uh, polls. Gotta talk about the polls. We love the polls. I love the polls. I don't know if you love the polls, but I love the polls. I love it. We were asking everybody, which new film are you most looking forward to seeing over the holidays? We got a lot of answers here. And the choices were All the Money in the World, Downsizing, Father Figures, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, The Greatest Showman, Happy End, Hostiles, In the Fade, Jumanji, Molly's Game, Phantom Thread, Pitch Perfect 3, The Post, and The Shape of Water. Leading the way with 28.41%. And just to put it in perspective, Deanne, the second place was 27.27%. Okay, so it's between, I think, The Post and Phantom Thread. The answer with just a hair smidge, literally by one vote, is Phantom Thread. All right. Good listeners. Uh, yeah, our <laughs> listeners are looking forward to seeing Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis team up. And I can tell you right now, if you are a cinephile of any way, shape, or form, and you respect the history of cinema as much as those two guys definitely do, uh, you are not going to be disappointed with that one, let me tell you. Um, in second place, just missing uh, the first place there, is The Shape of Water. Oh, okay. Beat out the post. By the way, um, its profile this week raised in a very, very significant way, I would say, with a lot of critics' wins this week. Um, we're definitely starting to see The Shape of Water start to gain uh, traction 
in categories for uh, Best Picture and Best Director. And it's leading into uh, my theory that I've been having now for the last couple of weeks that Shape of Water is going to lead nominations. It's going to be the perceived frontrunner heading into the race. I have since uh, moved Guillermo del Toro into my Best Director uh, win slot over Christopher Nolan. Wow. And I think Sally Hawkins is the frontrunner now for Best Actress. So with that logic in mind, I think Shape of Water is this year's Revenant and La La Land, where it's the nomination leader, it wins tech awards, it wins an acting award, it wins director, but it does not win picture. Hmm. Heard it here first. Yep. When are you seeing Shape of Water? Uh, when am I or have I? Oh, yeah, when? <laughs> I'm seeing it um, probably tomorrow. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Great. Oh, be sure to let me know what you think. I can't wait. Yeah. yeah, that's another one, too, that, you know, it's very, very clear while watching it that Guillermo del Toro loves movies. Like, you, right. you, it's it's so clear in every frame of that movie. That's why I, I, I just love him. And, I mean, even when he has, like, producer credits on things, I, I always feel like you can still feel him in the movie. You know, some people are listed as a producer, and you don't feel their influence. But there's just something about him that just carries that I think is so amazing. Yeah. All right, so keeping up with the theme of the holidays this week, we are asking everybody, what is their favorite holiday movie? And we have a couple of choices to go with here uh, and a write-in option as well. So some of the choices that are listed are Bad Santa, A Charlie Brown Christmas, A Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation, Die Hard, Eight Crazy Nights, Elf, The Grinch, The Holiday, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Love Actually, Miracle on 34th Street, the Muppet Christmas Carol, The Night Before, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Polar Express, The Santa Claus, and It's a Wonderful Life. So, Deanne, just out of curiosity, uh, from this list here, are there any movies that you, um, uh, other than the ones you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. typically like to watch around Christmas or are favorites of yours? Yeah, absolutely. From, from a nostalgia standpoint, for me, my mom and I watch Miracle on 34th Street, the original, all the time. So I, I watch that every year just for that reason. Um, but probably I would say about 10 years ago, I kind of rediscovered It's a Wonderful Life as like an adult. You know, you like always watched like pieces of it as a kid and it just it didn't really mean as much, I guess. And I remember like the first time watching it, like at a different point in my life, in my home theater and just being like, holy crap this movie is so amazing i mean the, the message and the story is so beautiful and i think the older you get the the more meaningful it becomes i, I definitely agree with that 100 percent. it's a wonderful life is like one of those movies that i remember my family would watch growing up and i'd just be like it's black and white yeah it's yeah like whatever yeah and then now <laughs> it's like holy shit like this is oh, a, it's beautiful a masterpiece mm-hmm. it really is it's amazing my vote i mean i know i said die hard earlier <laughs> I, 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 my vote is either It's a Wonderful Life, Die Hard, or man, oh, this is tough. There is a part of me that really loves the Santa Claus. Oh, yeah, that's a great movie. The sequels are bad, though, on Santa Claus, I have to say. Oh, they're terrible. Yeah, they're a little <laughs> They are god-awful. But the original's good. Right off the heels of Home Improvement? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Tim Allen's <laughs> not my favorite person right now, so... In any event, though, uh, right, so take a vote on Next Best Picture. Let us know what you think of that. And let's move over now to our second trailer uh, this week, Deanne. The second trailer this week is uh, a sequel that nobody asked for, but we are receiving. And it is the uh, sequel to Sicario. It's titled Sicario 2 Soldado. How would you define terrorism? Current definition is any individual or group uses violence to achieve a political goal. The administration believes that the drug cartels fit that definition. You want to see this thing through? I'm going to have to get dirty. Turning you loose. I'll lose. No rules this time. Adios.
help us start a war with who? Everyone. Okay, so no Denny Villeneuve, no Roger Deakins, no Emily Blunt, no Johan Johansson. All we're getting from the original is Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin, and the same writer, uh, Taylor, Taylor Sheridan. Sheridan which yep. that alone is enough for me. Like, you tell me Taylor Sheridan wrote the screenplay for this, and I instantly have confidence. I'm in agreement. Yeah. After Wind River, and obviously, yeah, I'm in. Um, I Obviously, I'm, I'm sad about those people not being here, but um, I don't know much about Stefano Salama. He did a, an Italian uh, television show called Gamora that, you know, received a lot of praise. It is, it's not uh, tied to the movie, but... I mean, yeah, I mean, this could be a surprise. I don't listen. I'm watching the trailer and I'm saying to myself, okay, these visuals are not as good as what Roger Deakins achieved in Sicario, obviously. Right. But I still got this sense that it was evoking the same feeling and, you know, maybe just being Roger Deakins light, which is not a bad thing. Right. That definitely could still work. I, I am a little, you know, part of what I think works so well, too, is the dynamic with Blunt and then kind of a juxtaposed against Del Toro and, yeah. and Brolin. Well, Blunt was supposed to be like the audience. Um, she, she was supposed to represent the audience, you know, coming into this world and, you know, just being like. Totally, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, what the hell's going on? Yeah, and, exactly. And Del Toro was a little bit more in the background. I mean, he was there, front, but it was more in the background. Now it seems like, you know, he'll be so front and center. I just hope that translates well. Yeah, and and um, it looks like they also have, um, they do have a, another female character in this one. It, yeah. it can be played by Catherine Keener. Right. So, yeah. I, you know, it's not like it's just, you know, the man show here, or at least I, I hope not. <laughs> Hopefully not, but I'm in. This is on my anticipated list. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I, I, I'm I'm not ready to write it off just yet. I know some people thought it was a bad idea. They're ready to write it off, and they don't like the way Benicio del Toro is shooting off the gun, and <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I get it. I I totally understand, but I, I still am not ready to write this one off just yet. Uh, Deanne, let's finish off with some more fan questions here. Okay. So this one over here comes from Estefana Resendez at Steph underscore five, 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 five. What do you think about the Oscar so white campaign that basically it's only black and white, which is awesome for African-Americans, but it still struggles to make an effort for other minorities, Latinos being one of the biggest minorities, and they still cannot land important roles in movies, not even supporting ones. And Asians have it even worse than us. What do you think Hollywood should do? Huh. Ocean's 8 uh, cast made me think about this a lot. Eight different women, and they could not even have a single Latina in there. Right. Well, I mean, what I think is it's an excellent point and a great question and still continues to be disappointing and a problem. You know, I think it's interesting some of the things that have happened in the last couple of years with animation, where I think there has been a little bit more of a push um, in that particular area of film, but you're not seeing it obviously translate anywhere else. I think that's the only area where there's actually been some improvement. Um, Obviously, I'm a big advocate for um, independent filmmaking. Sundance this year, I think, has a really nice variety that they're going to be putting out. And I think as we continue to hopefully see more independent film represented in award season, that that could potentially be something that could help. But at the end of the day, it all starts with what's, you know, the decisions that are made at the impetus of the film and, and the direction that is chosen. And if we can't start influencing that, then we're never going to get it where we want it. That's my take. I think that that was I think that was well said. I the roles have to be there. Mm-hmm. I will just reiterate that. That is the key. There has to be a field. There yeah. has to be a field. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, um, God bless Hong Chow right now for getting mm-hmm. as far as she has so far in this race at the moment, um, because she's part of a very divisive film. The performance is very divisive, but yet Critics Choice, Golden Globe, SAG nominations. So. God bless her, you know, for, you know, getting this far and doing uh, with that performance what she has done. Uh, Ditto to Mary J. Blige as well, who Mm -hmm. admittedly, Deanne, you and I, we were both not like crazy about the performance itself. But 
there is something to be said for the fact that Netflix has campaigned that performance very, very well, and they are really, really putting some muscle and confidence behind her. That is another huge part of it, is the studio willing to push into the public perception that your performance deserves to be part of that field. Does that that make sense, too? Yeah, definitely. If they don't believe in it uh, and they want to push other things, they're going to. I mean, you haven't seen anyone in that campaign focus on Carrie Mulligan. No. You know, it's all about Blige. Yeah. And they could have very easily, because that, you know, that ensemble is really fantastic and everybody's great. They could have very easily have pushed her and not Mary J. Blige. So I I definitely think it's a mixture of the roles need to be there and the studio has to have enough confidence and faith to push a performance. Simple as that. Right. So uh, the next question that we are getting here, uh, this one is coming from Stephen Keller, at Stephen M. Keller. What is your favorite all-time Oscar win in the top four categories? That's picture, director, actor, and actress. Um, Listen, Stephen, decades of films to choose from here, all right? It's a little unfair. Um, I'll tell you what. Here's what we'll do, Dan. Let's let's maybe narrow the question down from 2010 to today. So seven years. Okay. All right. So why don't we uh, go by Best Picture first. Uh, So from 2010 to today, um, I think the best Best Picture winner, um, oof, it's between Moonlight and 12 Years a Slave for me, but I'm going with 12 Years a Slave. Moonlight for me. All right. As far as director wins go, uh, what has been your favorite director win since 2010? So we have um, Tom Hooper, Michelle Hazanavanovicius, Ang Lee, Alfonso Coron, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, two years back to back, and Damien Chazelle. I probably have to go with Chazelle. I think it's so funny because none of these guys are my number ones in any of the years. Um, wow. So this is very this is very interesting. Um, ooh. I'll go with Alejandro for Birdman mm-hmm. because D- Damien Chazelle was my number two for La La Land and so was Alejandro that year as well. And, and Cuaron as well, my number two. Yeah. Um, I, you know, in their respective years, I would have I would have cast a vote for Steve McQueen, uh, Richard Linklater, and Barry Jenkins. So mm-hmm. a- as it stands, um, I'll, I'll just go with Alejandro because um, I think – you know, doing Birdman in one shot was like, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. Or at, at least the illusion of one shot, you know. Yeah. Whiplash pushed Damien over the top for me. I'm a huge fan of that movie. So it's kind of the combination that made that win hap- a happy one for me. I hear you on that one. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then for uh, actor, oof. Uh, best acting performance since 2010. So you have Colin Firth in The King's Speech. You have Jean-Jean Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. Oh, stop right there. I know. It's DDL. We don't have to keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, that is, that's an all-timer right there. Uh, actress since 2010. Oof. Man, this is... I love Natalie Portman in Black Swan. Um, I really do, actually. She's the first one on the list here, so... Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I am a Silver Linings Playbook fan. I know that there's uh. controversy about that, that being a Best Actress win, but I... I I was happy about the win at the time. I will put her in supporting, and she's my win in supporting that year. Yeah, right. But in lead actress, I, I, my, ugh. yeah, it was tough. I know. Yeah. Um, Kate Blanchett, Blue Jasmine, maybe. It's a great role. Yeah. You know what? I'll go with Kate uh, over Natalie. If Natalie had won for Jackie, I would have picked Natalie. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to go with Kate Blanchett. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, let's move on from that. The next question he also asks here: uh, <laughs> What is your favorite movie that has won the worst movie uh, Razzie Award? Best Picture at the Razzies. I'm so excited. I love this question. Uh, so I I saw it. So I, I did a little bit of research. I went back just to, to remind myself. So kind of old school wise, the one that stood out to me was Howard the Duck. <laughs> It's like the weirdest movie. It really is the weirdest movie, but it's there's something just sort of nostalgic and odd about it that I actually like rewatching it now. Yeah. Um, and then recent history. Oh my god! I just I feel like I'm saying too much today. Um, probably would be Twilight. Oh my god! Uh, when I look at this list, I can't. I don't know how one chooses. 
You choose the best of the worst. You choose the cheese the, the cheese factor. I like the Twilight cheese factor. It kind of worked for me. This is so bad, though. Um, oh, my God. Some of these are just awful. Uh, <laughs> Wild Wild West? Yeah. You know, Will Smith back when he was, uh, you know, top of the world and not at the bottom like he is now. <laughs> was it like Kevin Klein in that? Uh, was it Kevin Klein or was it Kenneth Branagh? I can't remember now. Yeah, one of those two. It was Kevin. It was both of them. Kevin Klein and oh, Kenneth Branagh. Okay, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Salma Hayek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that one. I remember my father and I. Um, and when I was a kid, I had memories of watching that with him. So, I'll go. I'll go with that nostalgia factor there. Uh, this one comes from Dan Claro. Saw a TLJ at Dan. <laughs> <laughs> he saw The Last Jedi. At Claro Dan, is Boss Baby going to get nominated for Best Animated Feature? Oh, my gosh. It really might. You know, it's funny. I was, I looked at the box office numbers because I was curious how Boss Baby performed. I did not realize how much better it did than Cars 3. And it did about the same as Lego Batman, but a little bit better. I personally hope that it doesn't. I think Lego Batman is a better movie. But you now have this Golden Globe nomination. I I mean, I, just, I don't know. I guess it's it's between, to me, it's between Lego Batman or Boss Baby, and I hope it's Lego. Just remember, Lego Movie did not get a nomination. I know. Yeah, I know. Very sad. Um, I, too, hope it's Lego Batman. I don't like the Boss Baby. I think the Boss Baby's going to get in. <sighs> I'm depressed now. Okay, last <laughs> question. And this one is in honor of Darkest Hour uh, going into wide release this week. This is from at Knowing Jay Lisa. What is your top favorite transformative performances? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I guess, and it can be interpreted a few different ways. I mean, I guess if we're going really big, for me, I'm a huge fan of Heath Ledger's performance, obviously, as the Joker. Oh, yeah. Um, that I mean, it just it sticks. I mean, you can never forget it. Um, I would also say this is maybe more of a subtle one recently, and I don't know if you'd call it transformative, but I I just loved Nightcrawler so much, and I loved I, I loved that version of him, and I realize that's maybe not quite transformative in the way we're thinking of, but um, the only other one I can maybe pull out would be. Um, uh, Elizabeth Sander, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I, I I think an argument can be made for all of those there. Rooney Mara and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is, yeah, pretty transformative. Right. Um, yeah. Charlize Theron, a monster. Yes. Oh, my God. One. It's like one mm-hmm. of the greatest performances ever. Uh, it, it, it's really funny. I was actually talking about this with somebody the other day um, because there's a lot of talk right now about Timothy Chalamet gaining traction on Gary Oldman and Best Actor for Darkest right. Hour. Mm-hmm. And I don't buy it. I don't think it's real. And the reason why I don't think it's real is because when I think of Charlie Theron winning an Oscar for Monster, when I think of Philip Seymour Hoffman winning an Oscar for Capote, Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, Heath Ledger for The Joker, the transformative performance, Sean Penn and Milk, there are so many. There's like a whole list of actors that when they give this kind of a performance, they win Oscars. Like that is why Gary Oldman has been predicted for so long. That is why, unless if he screws it up, he's going to do it. And, you know, people are getting like really upset about it because they're like, nobody like nobody likes, you know, shutting the book on a race and calling it a done deal. And, you know, but if you look at Oscar history, it, it just it makes sense, yeah. You know, um, and Gary Oldman's performance in Darkest Hour is like on the same level as what Daniel Day Lewis does in Lincoln. It is mm-hmm. makeup. It is a voice change. There's uh, you know a physical aspect to it. There's grand speeches. There, like it's literally what the Oscars have through their history epitomized with you know the best in acting, right. And people might disagree and might, you know, there are some people who don't like that. They think it's too flashy, too showy, too, you know, obnoxious. And they think that a more internalized performance, something that's more quieter, that allows for you to work through the performance and really read into what's going on internally, that is a more rewarding performance for some people. 
and that's totally fine. That's why we got different tastes, you know? That's right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, it all depends. And a lot of it has to do with narrative. Right now, Timothy Chalamet has no narrative. New kid on the block. Guess what? They look at him and they say, uh, he's got time. He's going to deliver something else one day. And that something else is going to be probably that maybe that transformative performance. Right. That people build to. Yeah, you know, maybe. Uh, maybe that's what they're waiting for, you know? Right. Yeah, and I, I think there's a there's room to prefer something. Like, I probably tend to prefer more subtle performances myself, but I have an, an enormous amount of respect for large performances as well, and I can get behind it just the same, if that makes sense. I, I mean, there's room for both, but I'm in agreement with you that as it relates to Oscar, I just don't see how Oldman doesn't take it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Um, I believe, and also tell me, let me, let me tell you something too. If Timothy Chalamet did pull it off, it would be amazing. Yeah. Like, it would be incredible. Um, because A, it just killed all of our expectations. And B, he's so good in it, too. He is really great. So, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Deanne, anything to say uh, before we leave? Uh, anything uh, you want to say to our no, listeners? Other than just, it's the holiday season. So, let's do it. yeah let's do it let's have a great time let's everybody just remember to be safe cherish this time with your loved ones and ultimately um really just take a moment to enjoy yourself over the holiday season uh deanne uh from myself to you i wish you uh the same as well and i have actually one question for you before we get out of here uh what are you planning to watch over the holiday season either at the theater or at home Yes, uh, Shape of Water, Wonder, um, and Darkest Hour are all three happening, and then most likely Molly's Game. Those are what I can see. Nice. I saw Molly's Game, too, by the way. Oh, good. I can't wait. It's a lot of fun. Very entertaining. Um, It's a little long, but uh, the performances are really strong, and the writing is, you know, it's Aaron Sorkin, so it's rat-a-tat-tat, and it's just got this rhythm and this pacing to it that is just like an avalanche of dialogue. It's Freaking awesome. I, I love his writing. So Yeah, I love it too. I can't wait. Absolutely. Cool. Great. All right, let's get out of here. Episode 70. Let's put a cap on it. And next year will be our episode uh, closing out 2017. So that will be more fun as well. Hopefully we can get some more people on the show here. And at the end of the day, everybody, happy holidays. Enjoy your time with your families. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, TuneIn, Player FM, CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable. Happy holidays once again. We will see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.